0: God, that would be really good to hear you call us this day. There are some who are weary. And there are many who softly and tenderly need to come home. So I ask that you would indeed bless us this day with your presence Gift us with your song, and show us your truth. In this, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today's scripture truly have taken me on a roller coaster ride. When I first was asked by Duane to step in while he was on vacation, I just looked, you know, glanced over the text, and I saw the Genesis passage, Genesis 17, and saw it had the story of Abraham and Sarah. I thought. Go on your little self to your vacation. I got it covered. (laughs) I mean, this is the story, one of the many stories that reveal God's amazing way to woo us with his grace. In this story, the God, the mother, the father of us all reveals that we are the seed of a promise. This is the story of covenant, everlasting covenant. It's the story of God's love affair with us. But I had forgotten that this is also the second week of Lent. Lent, this is the journey where we take upon those 40 days and follow Jesus into the wilderness. We look into this journey that Jesus takes. We face those demons and follow. That's where we find the next passage, the scripture of Mark. In this passage, Jesus introduces us to the concept of suffering and death. And not just his suffering and death, but our own. (laughs) So I'm thinking, this is wonderful. I'm getting the passage where Jesus introduces us to the cross. I mean, that could really empty out a church, right? (laughs) So I found a, a reading from Barbara Brown Taylor that it captured my silly imagination of how I would bring this great message to you today. She writes this, hello, it's so lovely to see you all here this morning. My message today will be brief and to the point. God is not in the business of protecting us from harm and no amount of good behavior will keep us safe. For evidence of this, see the cross. Instead, God is in the business of restoring us to life which may involve some painful procedures. If we're willing to go through it, and the operation is successful, our lives will no longer belong to us anymore. We will be God's gift to the world, and our to-do list will have no end. And if the operation is really successful, our good works will get us killed. P.S. Every day will be full of fresh astonishment, and we will never, ever get bored. (laughs) Yeah, so you can see my dilemma. How am I to pan these scriptures and help us find a message of hope? How am I to sift through these stories and help us find a way that we, as a community, are called further into our mission as a church? That, indeed, is a dilemma. For you see, no one really wants a suffering God, a crucified God. This runs counter to all of our human wisdom. If we were to be really honest here, I think that we would admit that we want a covenant God that focuses power on rescuing us from suffering and death, not lead us into this refiner's fire. And those two passages that we've read, last week Duane shared the passages of covenant that Noah and his family receive from God, where we get the rainbow in the sky reminding us of God's everlasting promise to be our God and we get to be God's people. And in this one with Abraham and Sarah again, the lovely promise that we are called to be God's people. Only if we look further into those texts, though, do we see that Noah and his family had to go through the flooding waters of the earth to find that new life. And Abraham and Sarah, well, we know that story. They had to give up virtually everything to step out into an unknown land and only have God's word to trust that it'll all be well. And that's where we find our Scripture Gospel of Mark text today. That's where we find this fine print of the Gospel message. Here in this passage we hear the wonderful news of the gospel that Jesus is indeed coming from that lineage of Abraham and Sarah and Noah, the one from the lineage of David that has come to be part of the redeeming story of God's grace. But also in this text, we are called to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow. What a message. The fine print We also see from this uh, story, I think, if we really pan it, though, that it's the humanity of God that scares us most. I mean, Jesus emptied himself, took on our humanity to come and be with us. And this coming to be with us, this love that was so great, Brought him His love was so much that it brought him to the cross. What does that say about love? What does that say about grace? And what does that say about us? We, indeed, seem to want to persecute justice-making love. We want to persecute those that would give up their life To help a friend. And that's the gospel. And that is what we're being called to. That is a hard, hard text. Clearly, we are lovers of a God who specializes in turning the world's values upside down. We're followers of a Lord who waited tables and washed feet. But we're heirs to a spirit that has the power to recreate all life. Only we have to be willing to release the illusion that we can do it ourselves. I think when we look a little closer, we see that the reason that love is persecuted is because there is an exchange of power. When Jesus uses the symbol of the cross, don't be mistaken here. He hadn't died on the cross, so it wasn't about that. And when he mentions the cross in this time, it was a symbol of dominion, of prestige, of power. It was the way that a particular government made sure that they held court. It brought fear. It kept us in line. It kept us in order. So for Jesus to say, pick up your cross, he was clearly talking about the suffering servant work of following Christ in saving the widow, pouring ourselves out for the might, releasing our power, releasing our power for justice. Mm. We all know that when we release power, when power is involved, that's when everything gets disruptive in our political and religious world. So we go into this story and uh, we see. How we respond, the question of how would we respond in in humanity, I think we can see in good old Peter. Right here, Jesus tells his disciples that he will suffer greatly. He lets them know that the Son of Man or the Chosen One will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the religious scholars, and he'll be put to death and will rise again. Now, clearly, Peter somehow blocked out the whole I will rise again part and just heard the suffering and went, far be it no way. This cannot happen. So we can just see it. He pulls Jesus aside and very discreetly says, No, this can't be. You are the Messiah. I just said it out loud. There's a few scriptures before this. Peter was the one that said, You are the Messiah. <laughs> but clearly, Peter had an agenda about what a Messiah would look like. And in those times, in the Gal- these were Galilean disciples. And Galilee was a revolutionary a tank right at this point. So it's, it should not surprise us that they would mistake mistaken a Messiah for one that would come and release them from the Roman oppression. But Jesus instead offers this. No, I release power, and by that you will have life. That is the meaning of Messiah. And Jesus... <laughs> even go so far as to say get behind me Satan for your ways are not you are thinking more of the judgment of God of human ways and not God's ways that's a strong word and not so bad and this was you know it's not like he took him in quiet quarters he actually pulled him back out made sure everybody could hear him say this that's how committed Jesus was to his mission and his purpose his destiny of this messiahship that he felt would end in suffering and death, resurrection and life. Satan. Could it be that Jesus had heard a familiar call, a familiar tug, a familiar temptation to be pulled from his purpose? Indeed, it was in the wilderness where Satan tempted Jesus to rethink this messiahship, to maybe use power To maybe reconsider his purpose. That he could get there maybe by a different way. Satan, in these stories, represents the great deceiver. I want to take a moment to... I was hit by this just when we were reading. I want to take a moment to say, when the scripture says, Jesus says, deny thyself, pick up your cross and follow me. Just a few sentences later, he says... What would you gain if you were to lose the whole world? If you were to win the whole world but lose yourself in the process? I want us to be really clear that when Jesus says "deny thyself," he couldn't have meant that we would indeed leave ourself behind. For otherwise, he wouldn't say that you have to lose your life to gain it. He wouldn't say that you would gain—you know—that you win the world, you would lose yourself. He's clearly talking about the the shadow and the light of our personalities. He's reminding us that in the wilderness, we are to find our truest self, our most authentic self. And guess what? To live that out comes to a price. To live our truest self comes at a price. So there's just a sidebar. (laughs) I couldn't let that go because it just, it really hit me. But we do join Peter in this denying of the suffering servant. I think that uh, we do it a different way, though. Peter, you know, had his idea of what a Messiah would look like, and he was truly trying to get Jesus to understand this power and prestige thing. I mean, if he was understanding it as the um, same way as the covenant through Abraham, that means that there was supposed to be this lineage through the, the King David And so, of course, it would mean prestige and power. But ours is different. We know the Easter story. We know how it goes. And so when we read this, I think we have a tendency to almost judge Peter as well, forgetting all the while that we join him. We join Peter in denying the real salvation story here. we say, hush, Peter. Let him go. He's got work to do. He's got to go pick up my cross (laughs) and take it up there because he's part of the redeeming story. He's got to save me. Get out of the way. He's got work to do. We find ourselves, like Peter, missing the crux of this double-edged gospel. A God Who comes and says, yes, I will empty myself and I will join you on this journey. And in this, I will guide you to abundant life. Pick up your cross. That which keeps you from your truest self. Anything that distracts you from finding your deepest purpose. Anything that keeps you from having the courage to do the justice-making work that we're all called to. Pick that up and follow me. That's the hard story. And in so, we find life. God, (laughs) crazy paradox of life. By joining Jesus on this journey, we find our life because we're willing to lose it. If we're willing to surrender our power agendas, we find true love. Love is a risky business. I uh, Spent a lot of time in this text, and I'm telling you, I had a really, like I said, a roller coaster ride, because it's hard to get up here and sec- make this story any sexier than it is, or to really inspire you to pick up that cross and do your thing, and and I struggled with all that, but there was something else that was really eating at me. For some reason, this last two weeks. I have had some very uh, intimate discussions with a handful of you. I don't know if it's something in the water. I don't know if it's a full moon. I don't know. What I know is many of you are in pain. I know many of you, indeed, uh, have had senseless losses, incomprehensible issues. And so I thought, how would you hear this message? For indeed, the fact that we have a God, a crucified God, that doesn't use power to save us or rescue us from the cross, but indeed invites us to participate in the redeeming work, how would you hear that if indeed you're sitting in the middle of your pain? Jesus knew his mission. Couldn't be distracted. But he felt his pain. Jesus. One last time, even after saying, calling him Satan, he takes that one more time and he asks God, if by chance this cup could be passed from me. And then on the cross we hear, the deepest cries of pain. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Incomprehensible. But that, indeed, is the mystery of Christian faith. Christian faith tells us that we have a God who will do anything to show us that death cannot separate us from God's love. One that will walk with us, journey with us, feel our pain, feel our abandonment, and not be able to make sense out of it, but know that there's purpose. And that's all I have for you. That's all I have. And so I say that there may not be any supernatural remedy for your suffering, but I know that we serve a God who can supernaturally use it. It was a hard week to hear those things. And so I decided to stop this message at this point and just be pastoral and say, We're in this together. We're called to suffer. That's the God we serve. It's a refiner's fire, it's an imitation, it's a mystery. And so there's a song that uh, I believe captures this more than anything, that what we have indeed is a God who suffers with, and in doing so holds us through our pain. This is a song by uh, Natalie Grant. It's called Held. And I saw all of those rainbow pictures last week and was really moved by the fact that that rainbow does serve as a testament of God's loving covenant with us. And so I asked Mark if he would take the... uh, Um, the lyrics of the song and place them over the images of those rainbows. So as you listen to it, you can just take in, and if you are one of those who is in pain or has known pain, may God add a blessing to the song. Amen.
1: Should we?